Today is Father's Day. As everybody, I'm sure, is aware, actually, every Sunday is Father's Day. When we come together in our Father's house and celebrate his love and bring him gifts and offerings and sing to him and, and celebrate to him. But today is the day when America has set aside to honor our earthly fathers. Now, it has been duly noted time and again that on Mother's Day, preachers usually stand up and commend mothers, moms, hold them in very, very high esteem, as they rightfully should. However, <clears throat> come Father's Day, it is typically a totally different story. Typically on Father's Day, <clears throat> father, uh, men stand up and preach a lesson if they preach about Father's Day and talk about all the mistakes that dads have made. Apparently, moms have reached this pinnacle, but dads will never reach it. That's kind of the way Mother's Day and Father's Day sermons go. A little tongue-in-cheek, if I may, just, just to begin as an example. I want to read to you a, an excerpt from a little somewhat tongue-in-cheek article that I received just before Mother's Day this year. I think it was the Friday before Mother's Day. I received this, this little article from the Jenkins Institute, which is a resource for preachers. It is designed to encourage and occasionally even to bring a smile to a preacher's face. The article was entitled, The Impossible Sermon Challenge. Now as a preacher, if you see the impossible sermon challenge, it's like, wonder what that is. So I opened it up and it was prefaced with these words. Some Friday fun. Just to be very clear, much of this is written with hyperbole and in fun. If you cannot laugh a little, stop reading now. And I will only give you a couple of paragraphs. <clears throat> Preacher starts out in this article. I think the hardest Sunday to preach year in and year out is Mother's Day. Hear me out. Number one, it is relentless. It comes every year, like it or not. Most any preacher out there can preach one good Mother's Day message, maybe even two, but imagine 40 or 50. There are only so many ways you can use honor your mother and your father. Then number two, he says this. There are rules. Now this was again before Mother's Day. There are rules. They're not Bible rules, but you know there are rules on this one. On Father's Day, you can pull a father out of the crowd and perform a public flogging of all dads through him. All the dads will bear up under it, and the moms will say, silently, mind you, amen. But on Mother's Day, use a hint of a suggestion that some mom somewhere in history might have done a little better and prepare for the wrath of Khan. I did it once, suggesting that a mom might maybe possibly consider being a keeper at home back in 1992, and those moms still send me annual reminders in the form of death threats. <laughs> Tongue in cheek, little humor, yes. But it helps kind of set the stage for this morning. As I said, it's a Mother's Day article and it goes on from there, but, but the point is still made that Mother's Day sermons typically, and rightfully so, rightfully so, tend to celebrate moms and their already achieved very, very admirable qualities, while Father's Day sermons typically tend to challenge dads, flog in some cases, 
challenge them to become better fathers and greater achievers because they have somehow not yet reached those heights that they need to. And, and maybe it's just because preachers in the Lord's Church are males and we love and appreciate our moms and our wives and, and hold them up in this high regard and respect and yet we as men know who we are. And so we tend not to elevate dads and fathers. We all know our flaws. But I do know that if you expected a sermon today like that, that you're not going to get one. In fact, I dare say that today's sermon on Father's Day might be a little different than any of you have maybe ever heard. It's going to be a little different because I truly and fully believe that faithful Christian dads and fathers and husbands continually strive to be the best dads and fathers and husbands they can be every day. Believe that with all of my heart. So there's going to be no public flogging today. Now, as a dad, let me say, dads fail miserably at times because we're only human. Despite the best of our efforts and intentions, we're still not perfect. And despite giving it everything we've got as dads and fathers, despite giving it everything we've got and know how to give it, all too many faithful Christian husbands and fathers still know, despite their best, despite doing all they can, some of them still know the desperate pain and heartache of having a wayward or unfaithful adult child or two or three or more. And the last thing those dads need is a public flogging. As a matter of fact, if they were to get one, they would find the pain and the heartache of that to be a picnic in the park compared to dealing with what they have to deal with with some of their out of service or, or wayward children. If there are dads here in the assembly today, and I know there are, and all of your children are faithful, all of your children are, are faithful Christians, members of the church in every way, then you need to get down on your knees and thank God every day for the blessing that you have. Because there are a number of your brothers in Christ who've given it all they've got but they don't sit in that same boat with you. Hence, our sermon title this morning is Hope for Hurting Christian Fathers. Hope for Hurting Christian Fathers. Now, as we begin, let me reemphasize once again, just so there's no misunderstanding, I am not trying to marginalize or minimize the fact that we all, no matter what our status is, as dads or moms for that sake, we probably all could have done better at times as a parent. I know I could have, and I'll say it. I know I could have. Even those whose adult children are all faithful members of the Lord's church are not perfect. If they were, they wouldn't need Jesus. As I said, we're all only human. But if you're one of those hurting Christian dads, with wayward or unfaithful adult children, the first thing I want you to realize this morning, you're not alone. You're not alone by a long shot. 
Did you know that amongst the greatest of God's servants, the greatest of God's servants, there were those fathers that knew the same tragedy, same heartache. You might think of Jacob. Jacob, whose sons plotted to kill, but then sold into slavery their brother Joseph in Genesis 37 and following. You might, as I speak some of these words or have spoken some of these words in introduction, you might have thought of maybe Eli. Eli, the great prophet who mentored young Samuel into that great and godly leader. He became Samuel was an incredible godly leader and, and Eli mentored him, but at the same time, you might also remember how Eli's two unfaithful adult sons brought him great heartache and even death in 1 Samuel 3 through 5. Now granted, as you, as you know that story, you know that Eli had certainly made his mistakes with his boys. He did. He made his mistakes. But as you read that account, you see that those two boys were still far, far removed from the respect and reverence that their dad had for God and how they broke his heart in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 22 through 25. You might have considered others, but you know the one that stands out to me? We're talking about great servants of God who knew the pain of children that did not follow God. The one that stands out most to me in the Old Testament is King David. Man after God's own heart as we know, and I think particularly of his son Absalom. We all know what a terrific and victorious military commander David was. We know what a great fighter and, and commander and, and leader he was. We know how David would not take the life of his predecessor, King Saul, the anointed one of God. We know about how righteous he was at that point and, and we also understand how incredibly humble David's heart was before God. We read throughout the Psalms, you can't mistake the humility of David's heart But speaking of his son Absalom, that brings us to the second thing I want hurting Christian fathers to always remember. Sometimes it's easy to forget this as dads or moms. Despite the inevitable mistakes you may have made along the way, you also did a lot of good too. You did a lot of good things, which it is not your fault if your children did not follow. You need to always remember that. Yeah, you made your mistakes. You weren't perfect. Nope. Your preacher certainly wasn't as a dad. But you did some good things too. And you set, you set the right example so many times. And you did those right things, which it is not your fault if your free will children, as we all have one, did not follow. For example, is going back to David, consider this. As a youth, David respected and was obedient to his father Jesse. We know this from uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 11 through 17. We know it from 1 Samuel 17, 17 through 20. As a young man, David respected and was obedient to his father Jesse. However, David's own son, Absalom 
did not follow his father's example. He did not follow in the footsteps of his father David, but instead Absalom sought to undermine and deceive his own father at every available opportunity. 2 Samuel chapters 13 and 15. As a younger man, we know the story of how King David had King Saul right in his hand, didn't he? Remember the cave incident? He sliced off the corner of his robe, you remember, right? David had King Saul right in his hand. He could have taken him down and Saul never would have known where to hit him. What was David's character? David said, he's the Lord's anointed. He wasn't going to touch the Lord's anointed. And yet his own son, Absalom, didn't follow David's example. Absalom... When King David was on the throne, God's anointed of the time, Absalom went after him hardcore, didn't he? He went after him, wanted to kill him. So again, Absalom did not follow his father's faithful and righteous example. That wasn't David's fault. Throughout the entire ordeal, even when Absalom was seeking to kill his father, you know what David did? I, I, I just... When Absalom was seeking to pursue and kill his father David, do you know what his father did? His father loved him. His father pleaded for him. His father continued to love and seek only the best for his wayward son Absalom. For example, in 2 Samuel chapter 13, verses 37 through 39, after Absalom had plotted and schemed and killed his own brother Amnon, it says in 2 Samuel 13, 37 through 39, Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amahud, king of Geshur. Check this out. After Absalom killed his own brother, some might say righteously, vengefully, whatever, but after Absalom killed his own brother, he knew his father didn't approve, so what did he do? He fled, fled from his father's presence, took off. You know, <clears throat> sometimes our children will seek to put distance between themselves and their parents because of some foolish decision they've made. Do you know what? His dad never stopped loving Absalom when Absalom did that. Never stopped loving him. It goes on to say in that very same passage, and David mourned for his son every day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. And King David longed to go to Absalom. David never stopped loving his boy, even though his boy had done something terrible. Later on, when David's men went out to fight against Absalom and his forces, you know what David told his officers? David said, deal gently with the young man Absalom in 2 Samuel 18 and verse 5. What you may remember the most about that entire encounter is David's incredible heartache. David's incredible heartbreak over the death of his son Absalom. His own son who'd been trying to kill him, been trying to kill David, David, David had this terrible lament, this awful heartache over his son's death in 2 Samuel 18, chapter, 30, uh, chapter 18, 31, the chapter 19 in verse 4. And if you read that, you just can almost hear David crying out loud. Yeah, 
King David, the man after God's own heart, this incredible servant, had to deal with that pain. All of which underscores the fact, once again, despite the inevitable mistakes, and David had made mistakes, no, no question about that. Despite the inevitable mistakes one may have made as a father, being only human as we are, he also did many good things along the way as well. Things which it is not your fault if your children do not follow. I believe that's why God makes it clear in Ezekiel 18 and verse 20 when he says, the soul who sins shall die, the son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteous of the righteous shall be upon himself and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. But thirdly, this morning, and, and maybe most importantly for all faithful and godly and, and loving but hurting Christian fathers to understand, maybe this is the most important of the three points. Even the perfect, the most perfect, the only perfect father in all of the universe, perfect and flawless in every way, even he knows the pain of unfaithful children. Did God ever mess up? God never messed up. God loved perfectly, right? God forgives perfectly. God is perfectly patient. God is the perfect example, right? Does he have unfaithful children? Does he know that heartache? Not his fault. Turn to me to Luke 15. Luke 15. We know the story well. I'm not going to read the whole story. Don't want to lose the flow of what we're doing here. But I want you to see a couple of things you might not have thought of. In the story of the prodigal son, who does the father represent? God, the father. We all know that. The perfect and flawless God of heaven, the God and Father who was and is perfect in all his ways. I want you to notice what he did because this exhibits what the perfect Father is like. Look at me in Luke 15, verses 11 and 12. A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Stop right there. We often just read that and keep it on going because we want to get to the main point. Um, we're missing a point that's pretty important here if we do that. I want you to notice how accommodating the father was. He was a giver even before the time came when most fathers would give. When do you usually divide up the inheritance for your kids? to give to him. When do you usually give it to him? After you're gone, right? That's usually the way that works. This father was so giving and so accommodating that when the boys came and said, hey, we'd like what's ours, he said, okay, I'll do it. Now, that was not unheard of in those days at all. According to one custom, the father might, during his lifetime, dispose of all of his property by a gift as he may wish. So it was done. It wasn't totally unheard of, but it's not usual. But this father was so loving, he did it. 
The younger said, Father, give me the portion. So he did. That's an incredibly loving father. He did it because of his great love. He did it because his son asked him to. When the younger son later turns away and goes off into the filth of the world, the implication is, the implication, scripture does not say this, the implication is that that father never stopped watching and waiting for his son's return. And I'll tell you why I say that. I've read commentaries on this and when you get down to verse 20, he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. It is believed by some that the reason that the father saw him when he was a long ways off is because the father wasn't preoccupied with all of his duties right in front of his face, but he was one who constantly watched for his son's return. Now, scripture doesn't say that, but it does paint a, an interesting picture for us to at least consider that the reason he saw him from such a long ways off is because he was continually watching, wanting, waiting, hoping for his son's return. And, and you can see this father's incredible love and patience and forgiveness all reflected in his response to his returning son in verses 20 through 24. But what we often fail to remember is in verses 25 through 33, we can see the same perfect fathers, perfect love, perfect patience, perfect mercy, and perfect forgiveness, all reflected in his response to his older son as well. It wasn't exclusive to the one boy. This is who he was. This awesome, loving, perfect father. Now, as we consider that and we understand that in this story Jesus told that the father represents God, remember this. God doesn't change, is that right? God is changeless. Malachi 3 and verse 6, I the Lord do not change, okay? So, tie this together with me, follow, follow this train of thought. So if God does not change, and he doesn't, scripture says that, and God in this story Jesus told is represented by the Father, then when you put that together, what would this mean? This would mean that the same kind of love and patience and mercy and forgiveness that God the Father showed upon the return of the prodigal and with his older son in the events that followed, this was the way the Father had always been, right? This is who he was. God doesn't change. God's the Father. This would be what the boys were used to. This would be who this father of theirs was all along. And yet still, even God, the most perfect of fathers, had an unfaithful and wayward child If you don't think he has them today, think of all the people you've known that have become Christians and walked away over the years from God the Father. Is God still the perfect Father? He's still the perfect example? He's still perfect love? Yeah, he is. But you know, he's had some children who have left and that breaks his heart. There have been years of this. But here's what I want for us to remember today more than, more than some of this, the story of the prodigal son, dads, the story of the prodigal son is a story of hope. It's a story 
of hope. It's a story that says, just because something is one way today don't mean it's gonna be the same tomorrow. Understand that this is a rock solid reinforcement of the fact that just because a child may turn away or fall away or flee away into the swine fields today does not mean that they will never return home because if that's the case, then Jesus never should have told this parable. This is a story of hope. God is a God of hope, is that right? Romans 15 and verse 13 says so. Yeah, God is a God of hope. No situation is hopeless if the God of hope is in that situation. You with me on this? I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it seems to be at the moment. No situation is hopeless as long as the God of hope is in that situation. God the Father, this godly Father in Luke 15, exemplified hope in every facet of the parable. Have you considered that? For example, he exemplified hope when he gave his sons their inheritance early on. Did you know that? He exemplified hope when he gave his sons their inheritance. He hoped the best for them with what he gave them. Don't you, wouldn't you dads want that for your kids? Of course you would. I would, sure you would. He exemplified hope that they would use it for good. He exemplified hope if he did indeed look to the horizon daily, hoping, waiting for his son's return. He exemplified hope for the future. When he welcomed his son back, listen, when he welcomed his son back and he gave him all that stuff, wasn't that hope for the future? Put the ring on his hand and did all those things. He had hope for that young man in the future. All of this, this, this whole incredible account is about hope. He even exemplified hope for his older son when he sought to get his older son to go in and make up with his brother. He had hope for the future, for this relationship. So, what should those hurting fathers of worldly adult children do in the meantime while they're scanning the horizon, while they're hoping, while they're praying, while they are waiting upon the Lord for him to renew their strength, Isaiah 40, 31, what should they be doing? How do they keep the hope alive in their hearts and lives that God provides? How do they do it? How do they walk by faith and not by sight? How do they keep that hope right there? How? Well. I'm going to tell you with an acronym for the word father, F-A-T-H-E-R, here's how. Here's how they keep that hope alive. F, remain faithful to God. Number one, remain faithful to your God and Father in heaven the God of all hope, and the God and Father who knows more than anyone else the heartache involved with having wayward adult children. He knows. Be and remain faithful. Do not, under any circumstances, allow Satan, and this is what he loves to do, do not allow Satan, follow me, do not allow Satan to dredge up from beneath the blood where Jesus buried them, your 
failures and mistakes as a parent because what Satan likes to do is dredge that up and so dump it on you that you become overwhelmed, you become guilt-ridden, and you turn away from God, and you become one of God's faithless children. That's what Satan loves to do. Don't let him do it. Be faithful to God. Do not allow Satan to dredge up the times you did make mistakes and so overburden you with a load of guilt that God is taken away. Listen, does Romans 8.1 say there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ? Does it say that? It says that. Moms, don't mean for this to be just a dad thing. Moms, has God buried your sins? Yes. Dads, has he? Yes. There is now, therefore, no condemnation. So don't let Satan dredge those up because, because what Satan's going to try to do is, is take what's already a painful situation for you and turn it into a painful situation for your God and Father by overwhelming you to where you don't trust God anymore. Be faithful to God. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. That's the F. The A. Remain aware and available. Aware and available. The father in this story, the prodigal son, remained aware and available to both of his sons, to all of his kids. We don't know that he had any more kids. The only two we hear. To all of them, to both of them. Matter of fact, the younger, we know he was available because we know what he did when his son returned home. But, but listen, don't miss the fact that this dad was available and aware when it came to his older son, too. Look at me in the story. Look in verse uh, 28 of chapter 15 of Luke. Look at verse 28. Look what happens. They're, they're rejoicing over the return of the, the younger son. Older son at the time, verse 25, was in the field. He gets near. He says, what's going on? He hears all the sound. And servant comes out and says, your brother's returned home. Verse 28. But he was angry and would not go in. The older son won't go in. I ain't going in there. And his father was aware that he wasn't there. Don't miss that in that verse. His father knew where he was too, just like he probably watched the horizon for his returning son. It says he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out. His father was aware. His father was available. Even while they were celebrating, the other boy isn't there. Dad knows the other boy isn't there. So dad is aware and he's available. And he goes out to that other boy and he pleads with him. He pleads with him. What a dad. He pleads. Look at verse 32. He says, it was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. He's still teaching his other son. He said, this is the right thing to do. He's still teaching the right, but he was aware and he was available. T, remain totally committed to the truth of God. Totally committed to the truth of God. Do not let circumstances or sufferings or Satan himself cause you to doubt or deny or compromise what God said. Let me, let me show you why. 
Matthew 13, verse 21 speaks of those who, when tribulation or persecution arise because of the word, they immediately stumble. Okay. When a dad stands on the word of God, when a dad stands up for right and wrong, the morality in the Bible, anything the Bible says, and he stands firm on the word of God, he does the right thing. It's entirely possible. Some of his more prideful and self-serving children are going to have a problem with that. They might walk away seeking to sample some of the more sinful wares of the world which the word says are unacceptable. So then, if the father compromises his convictions in Christ, if the father, because the child says, I, I can't put up with that truth, I can't accept that truth. If the father compromises that truth, even though the, the child has walked away, if the father compromises the totality of the truth of God's word, what does the father become? Again, he becomes an unfaithful child to his father in heaven and causes even more heartache over that. And it also means this, if, if the father compromises the truth, it also means, listen, it means that when the prodigal comes home, if dad has left God and the truth of God's word, that boy's got nothing stable, spiritual to come home to if dad has thrown the truth out the window. Listen, if they're gonna come home to something that's as useless as the swine fields as they're in, why bother? What's the point? Where's the security? Where's the stability? Dad, stay totally committed to the truth no matter what. H, remain heaven-minded. Colossians chapter 3, if you would please. Heaven-minded, Colossians chapter 3. Dad's got to do this. You as a human earthly father continue to be heavenly minded. Chapter three and verse one of Colossians, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth. Keep your mind in heaven. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Dad's as a human earthly father, continue to seek to be everything you see in your father in heaven, which we see in verses 12 through 15 of Colossians 3. Therefore, as the elect of God, be holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also you must do. Above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Is that who God is? Verses 12 through 15, is that who God is? Love, compassion, mercy, tenderness. Yes. Well, if that's what the perfect father in heaven looks like, then we as fathers need to look the same way. We need to be heaven-minded. Do not change your convictions in order to become more like the world that your wayward offspring have fled to. Because you know what? Sin only satisfies for a very short time. As all prod and this thing got all prodigals eventually understand this. Did you know that? All prodigals eventually come to the point. Now it, it may take a while, but they all come to the point where they realize, hey, wait a minute. This doesn't last. Isn't that what the prodigal discovered? 
They all come to understand in time that all that the world has to offer is just not lasting. And remember we said God the Father in this, this story was consistent because he was God and he was always the same. Listen to this. Did the prodigal son who left, did he know his dad? Did he know who his dad was? Had to have. He grew up there, right? So he knew his dad. Here, here's the beautiful thing. I love this about this story. Here's the beautiful thing. He knew who his dad was. He knew his father's love. His father had, had divided up the possessions with him when they asked, right? With him. He knew his dad's love. He knew his dad loved him. He knew his dad's patience. He knew that if he left the swine fields and went home, he knew his dad would take him back. You don't see him saying, there's no sense going home because dad wouldn't take me back to his life. He didn't say that, did he? He knew his father. He knew his father's love. He knew he could count on it. He knew his father's willingness. He had learned his father's way. And he had learned when he got out there and actually had something to compare it to and he got out there in the swine fields, he said, wait a minute, my father's hired servants are better off than I am. He knew his dad. He knew how he treated his servants, even. And once he had that comparison, what did he do? I'm going home. I'm going home. I know my dad, and I need to go home. And because his father was one whom he knew from experience, was faithful, steadfast, and unchanging, he knew he could go home. And he knew he'd find lasting fulfillment at long last in his father's house. E, be an encourager. Be an encourager for good and for right, but be an encourager, not a discourager. No matter how much patience that takes, Ephesians 6.4 says, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Be an encourager. If you're still in Luke 15, hold that thought. If you're not, please turn back there, Luke 15. Speaking of being an encourager, you know, when the prodigal son came home, You don't see his father saying to him, I told you so. I told you so. I knew. His father doesn't say that. Now his father probably did know, but that's not what he said. He didn't say to his son, you should have known better. He didn't say, try to tell you. You're still as stubborn as you were when you left? That's, that's, that's not what you see. Look what you do see. Luke 15, look at verse 20. Rose came to his father. When he's still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran, and fell on his neck, and kissed him. I don't run so good no more. But I'm telling you what, my kids have been out there, and I see them coming. I'm taking off. I see him coming home, I'm going after him. And it's my understanding from something I read a long time ago that it was uh, shameful for a man to show his lower legs, thighs, but he had to hike up everything in order to run. Don't know if that's true or not, but the fact is is that the father here, father runs, kisses him. Son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
His father didn't say, told you so. Look what he did. He says, but the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Notice there was no price. There was no price too great. The fatted calf, bring the biggest one and let's kill it. Let's eat and be merry. For this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found and they began to be merry. His father was an encourager, wasn't he? He was an encourager. When his older son refused to come in, wanting to continue to carry his prideful and self-righteous grudge all the way to its family dividing and devouring end, what do we see then? What, what, what do we see then? We see the same father being the same father as he'd always been, an encourager. As we read earlier, he went out and he pleaded and he begged and he explained the situation and encouraged his older son to go in and welcome his brother home. Finally, R, Father, the R in the acronym, what do you do while you're waiting upon the Lord and he is renewing your strength and you're holding out hope? The R stands for remain ready for their return. Remain ready. Never, ever, 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 I got 10 minutes to 12 minutes to noon. Ever, ever, ever give up hope. Stay ready. Stay ready. Remain ready for their return. Romans 15, 13, again, God is the God of all hope. 1 Corinthians 4.16 says, Do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed day by day. We walk by faith and not by sight. 1 Corinthians 5.7, I want to tell you a quick story before we close. Different situation, little, not a lot. Told you before, but I got a minute, so I'm going to tell you again. <clears throat> when our son was two months old, he was taken back by his birth mother. And for four months, we lamented the loss of our son. Now, he didn't run away like a prodigal, but he was taken from us. And the point is, the situation was hopeless. There was no indication whatsoever that we were ever gonna have our boy back. There was no indication of that, none, zip. It was hopeless from a physical standpoint. But we prayed and the church prayed and other congregations prayed and at the time we were building a house. We were putting on some rooms. And so somebody said to me, they said, are you still going to put a room up there for Chris? Now, my oldest daughter and then Katie, Chris's room was in the middle. It had been easier when we were putting those bedrooms on. It just makes two girls' rooms bigger because our son had been lost. girls probably would have liked bigger rooms. I said, no, put Chris's room right there. Because if the church is gonna pray and if we believe God and if we have hope and we understand this is a God hope, and no, I didn't say all those things then because I was a lot younger Christian, but the point stands, the implication, I said, yeah, I'm gonna put his room there because we're praying. And if we're praying, we are gonna trust God. Nothing on earth gave us any hope that was ever going to happen. Four months went by. I was at work when I got the call from Karen. 
Chris's birth mother wants to give Chris back. Glad he had a room to come back to. We walk by faith and not by sight. Don't ever give up hope, dads. I'm gonna ask you to join me in prayer before the invitation, please. Our Father in heaven, we are not worthy to be called your children, and yet you hold us in the highest regard. You gave your son for us, your perfect son, to adopt us into your family. We sit here humbled, blown away by that kind of love today. And Father, as we think about you and your children, we want to thank you for all the faithful and, and godly fathers among us today, no matter what age or the status of their relationships with any of their children. Father, we admit that we are all mothers and fathers alike, as well as the rest of us. But dads, today, as we're mindful of them especially, we admit that we're all human, and as such, we are terribly weak, and we are flawed, and we are imperfect. Father, we all need you. We all need your forgiveness. We all need your mercy. We all need you to help us, especially as men and husbands and fathers. We need you to help us become better husbands and fathers and grandfathers and great-great-grandfathers. We pray this day and thank you for those who are amongst us whose children are all faithful in Christ. And Father, we pray for help and hope and comfort for all of those to whom that is not the case. We pray, Father, that we will never, ever, ever give up or end to Satan, that we will never, ever, ever give up or end to hopelessness, no matter what the situations in our lives and the relationships may be today, because we serve the God of all hope. Help us all, Father, to be strong and firm and faithful in our commitment and devotion to you, to you and your truth, so that if we do have children who are wayward or gone back to the world, that by our standing strong and faithful in you, they will always have something sure and steadfast and worth coming home to again. Help us to always pray for them and to be horizon watchers always ready to run to and forgive our penitent and returning prodigals. Help us to celebrate, Father, their return with the utmost of unconditional love when they decide to come home. Father, we love you. We thank you for forgiving and covering our sins, for strengthening us. Help us, Father. Help us all to see your hope and your light in every day, to know that our sins and mistakes are covered to know that we have hope with you in Christ's holy name. Amen. The invitation this morning is for you to become one of God's children. God gave his son on the cross so that we could be washed in the blood because none of us have the right to be children of God in and of ourselves. And so as we celebrated Earlier, Jesus came and shed his blood so that we could be clothed with Christ. And, and when we are baptized into Christ, we become a child of God. 
Galatians 3, 26 and 7. For all of you who have been baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. The verse before that says that we are children of God when we do that. But maybe in light of the lesson this morning, you're somebody who's already done that. You've become a child of God, but you know in your heart of hearts that in some ways, you haven't stayed home as much as you need to in the sense that maybe you've gone back into the world in some ways. Maybe you need in some way to repent, to turn back, to come home like the prodigal did and say, you know what? I've hung out in this sin or I've hung out in this, this place and this sinful whatever it may be too long and I need to truly go home to my father. God's waiting. God's watching. God's wanting. It is God's desire that none should perish, but all should come to repentance, 2 Peter 3 and verse 9. God wants you to come home, if you're not, to him. If you were to respond to the Father's love this morning and either become his child or become a more faithful child of his, we'd welcome you to do so right now as we stand and sing.